Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Year in the Bible podcast. I am your host, Jay Smith. With me today, Jimmy Doyle and Travis Bruno. So we're doing things a little bit different this week. Uh, We are constantly evaluating how we produce this content and how we get it out to you. And we don't want to overwhelm you and we want to be helpful. And so that's kind of the heart that drives most of what we're doing here. So starting in Matthew, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do a kind of before the reading or as you start the reading and then a as you conclude the reading podcast. And so you should get two, maybe three, depending on how long when do we get uh, on on the content stuff. But we're going to try to keep this before you read or as you start reading to one podcast, because we just think that there's some context that if we can help you start uh, to look through at least those lenses as you or that lens as you move forward in reading the Gospel of Matthew and then obviously Luke and John. And in doing so, uh, we're going to also do the same thing kind of toward the end. And so trying to break it up a little bit more to make it more useful for you. Uh, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and just want to remind you, as we always do, join us along in this journey at read-scripture.com. And if you know somebody that is uh, missed out on Mark, but you know you think would benefit from engaging in the scripture like all of us will is uh, invite them to start with us on Matthew. And so you can catch up pretty quickly. you got the whole week to read four chapters. Uh, and that is just another part I want to emphasize is that this is a longer uh, reading. Specifically, this first week is four chapters. And for the most part, the rest of them are two chapters. And so we uh, understand that it doesn't in my reading, kind of getting in preparation for this podcast, it doesn't read as long as you may feel like it does because we just got used to reading just uh, a few verses and maybe a chapter a week. And so it's not as long or overwhelming. And so I just encourage you to take the time uh, to read through this and make a plan to do that, to make that part of your life. So for this introduction podcast, we are going to do kind of an overview of Matthew and specifically chapters one through four, which is what our readings are for this week. And so, Jimmy Doyle, I'm going to lean pretty heavily on you to help us get some context on what we're looking at in the Gospel of Matthew. And so I'm going to try to do so by kind of having a conversation about some of the things that I know and 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 letting you fill in some gaps in that. So most early historical uh, thinkers, scholars, most early church people attribute Matthew's gospel to the tax collector, Matthew. Uh, And one of the things that is a recurring theme in the Gospel of Matthew is the Jewishness of Jesus, specifically framing Jesus as kind of this new and greater Moses. That's why as we start chapter one, when we see the genealogy of Jesus is there is a lot going on there that should connect us. And even in verse one, where it says the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So I don't want to move too quick because I think the genealogy is an easy one that gets people trapped. Uh, or stuck, or bored, or whatever you want to say. So, Jimmy, give us like a a little bit of context of why the genealogy matters. Yeah. So, in ancient cultures, and in a lot of cultures today, identity is shaped by uh, they're called our culture. Be called an individualistic culture. My identity is shaped on how I feel and what I'm doing, and I do a lot of things in response to other people around me to differentiate myself from those around me, including my family. That's an, that's an individualistic society. Uh, most cultures of the world up until the modern era, and maybe even today, are what, we, what sociologists call uh, dyadic societies, where identity is rooted in the other and not in self and in relation to the other. 
And in those societies, it's hard for people to think about themselves without thinking about their family, their tribe, their history. And genealogies are always living. It's almost like they're talking about living people. And so if you're talking to somebody maybe from parts of Africa, uh, parts of India, parts of the Middle East, it's interesting. Uh, I've had this happen several times how you say, hey, tell me about yourself. And they start out by saying, well, my great, great grandfather, blah, 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 blah. They start telling that story. Or maybe they even start a hundred years ago or more because that's the way it's, that's the way they base their identity. And uh, in the Middle East, that's true even, even today. Uh, in tribal societies, genealogies are, <laughs> they're spoken, memorized. They are accurate and from our perspective also inaccurate because they're often what would be called uh, etiologies. They are um, defining the present. They're giving shape to the present based on these genealogies. So they are always selective. They leave some things out and they include some, some things. They leave some people out and they include people depending on what they're trying to lean into in that genealogy. And for us, that feels kind of weird. So in this genealogy of Jesus, what you have is that very first line, Jesus, Matthew's kind of setting up that framework for who he's going to declare Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of David and he's the son of Abraham. And then he kicks off on this three segmented genealogy. And then he wraps it up by saying, Hey, from this period, from Abraham to David was 14 generations. And from David to the exile was 14 generations. And from the exile down to the birth of Jesus was 14 generations. And he's using that genealogy to tie Jesus into this Old Testament narrative that he's, you're going to see this word happen a lot in Matthew. This was done to fulfill, to fulfill, to fulfill. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises. He's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament typologies. And the typology is like where something has already happened, but it's a type of something to come. So uh, Jesus is going to be a type of Israel. There's going to be references to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew that have to do with things that happened, that already happened to the nation of Israel in the past. So out of Israel, I called my son. In the Old Testament passage, that's actually about Israel. Uh, out of Egypt, I called my son. And in the Old Testament passage, that's about God calling Israel out of Egypt and rescuing Israel. But in the Gospel of Matthew, that's about Jesus coming out of Egypt. Uh, a virgin shall be with child in the, in the uh, prophet Isaiah is about something that happened during the uh, possible Assyrian invasion of Judah. And it was something that already happened. The, a young woman in Alma already uh, had had a baby. And by that time, the Assyrians had withdrawn and Israel or Judah was, was rescued. That's a typology, but it happens fully in Jesus that this young woman has a divinely conceived child and he's going to be the savior of the world. Just like, God saved Judah. Now he's going to save the world. And so that's a, a framework that Matthew has. It's hard for us as moderns to understand. For example, in that last segment of 14 generations, there are actually only 13 generations. And in the middle segment, Matthew leaves out four kings to get to his number 14. If you actually count all the kings, uh, there's more than 14. And that feels weird to us, but in a first century Jewish culture, or maybe even some dyadic cultures today, that's not strange to them. They'd be like, no, I'm telling a story and I'm 
yeah, okay, I left these people out because I'm trying to get to this number. And that feels weird to us, but it wouldn't have felt weird um, to them. Matthew gives no apology about what he's doing. But the big picture is, is it's centering Jesus. He is the fulfillment of everything they've been waiting for from the Old Testament. In any way that a son of David didn't fulfill that, that promise to David that he would always have a son on the throne, that's happening in Jesus. The promise to Abraham that through him, God would bless the whole world and through Abraham's seed, through his offspring, he would bless the whole world is now being fulfilled in Jesus. So what's interesting is you have this most Jewish of the four gospels in some sense, but we, at the end of this gospel, and this is kind of a precursor, it's going to say, go to all the nations. And so it's, it's highly Jewish, but the fulfillment is, is that God always meant for this message of good news to go to the world. And the four women that are included in this genealogy all have an aspect of being non-Jewish. Uh, Rahab was a Canaanite. Tamar was a Canaanite. It doesn't actually say Bathsheba, and it actually doesn't even say the wife of Uriah. It says the one of Uriah. Uh, but there's a question there about whether she was a Hittite like Uriah was. And Ruth obviously was um, earlier. She was uh, an Edomite, uh, a Moabite, sorry. So the women in that story all have kind of this multicultural thing. There's questions about issues related to the sexual issues in the case of some of these women. And then the last woman in the, in the genealogy is Mary. So there's actually five women. Also, I want to point this out that this genealogy has nothing to do with the uh, genetic descent of Jesus. This is, this is the genealogy of Joseph, not of Mary. So Joseph is of the line of David, and he adopts Jesus as his son, which would have had total legal. That makes Jesus a descendant of David, even through adoption. So I don't know. The genealogies do bore us sometimes, unfortunately. But if you went back and read these stories a little bit, if you knew these stories, this genealogy has a, a great depth of meaning. So even just looking up the four women, for example, would give this genealogy a lot more meaning for, for, for so listeners. For a first century hearer of Matthew's gospel, which one of the things that N.T. Wright and Michael Bird say in their New Testament, uh, <clears throat> I don't know what you even call it, it's New Testament in its own world, this giant uh, kind of in-depth look at the New Testament in the context that it says, it says that Matthew was the most often used uh, gospel in the early church. Mark was first as far as its authorship, and and we had a lengthy text conversation about you know, how Matthew and Luke utilized Mark and then Luke maybe utilized Matthew. Uh, but Matthew being a um, prominent first, you know, first two centuries of the early church text, like what are the things that that would have been um, known or I don't know, what are the things that would have been felt whenever people initially encountered Matthew's gospel? So in church tradition, there's a guy named Papias that a later church historian named Eusebius writes. And Papias actually says that Matthew wrote his gospel first in Hebrew, but that he recorded the sayings of Jesus and everybody understood them the best that they could. So the interesting thing is that gospel of Matthew does not sound like the gospel of Matthew that we have here. This one was definitely written in Greek and it has a lot more than, it has a lot of narrative, it has all the narrative basically from Mark, but it does have these big teaching sections. And I think the, the appeal of Matthew early on and today is that you, if you read Matthew, you read Mark. 98%, I think, of Mark is in Matthew. So you're already getting that story. Matthew does some different things with Mark. 
but you have these huge, you have five big teaching sections uh, in Matthew and some of it's just incredibly beautiful. So you have like the Sermon on the Mount, which is just some of the best teaching that you're going to find anywhere by anybody, but especially in, in terms of Jesus. And I think John was always kind of a mysterious gospel to some people. Luke was a later gospel and, and his speeches aren't as eloquent maybe as, as they are in Matthew. If those of you who are listening to the podcast have done the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see a lot of things from Mark pop up in what we're looking at. Matthew kind of cleans up Mark a little bit. I love the Gospel of Mark. I love the grittiness of Mark. So we're going to read about the baptism story here. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus comes up out of the water and the heavens are torn open. They're ripped open and the dove comes down and it actually says the Spirit descends into Jesus. And then the Spirit throws Jesus out into the wilderness, cast ekbalos, the same word for casting out like demons. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's, it's softer. It's Jesus came up out of the water and the heavens were opened almost like a door or a window. And the dove came down and was upon him. And then the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. So Matthew does some things with Mark. It's interesting to see how they kind of present that. But, you know, if you're going to read two Gospels and get like the full picture, uh, you could read Matthew and John and you would have pretty much the, the full picture of what the gospels present. There's some things that you don't, you would, you would miss from Luke, like the prodigal son story, but all of these gospels are, are beautiful and amazing in my opinion. So Travis, I want to give you some space to maybe talk a little bit um, about Matthew's gospel. Like what are the things that when, when you're going to encounter this for the first time, right? And I know most everybody, if they've ever read the New Testament or if they've even been challenged to read the Gospels, like they're going to read Matthew just because it's it's in order in, in our New Testament as the first book. Uh, but what are some of the things that that pop into your mind that you think would be important as we start this journey in Matthew that maybe somebody who's reading this for the first time or the first time in a long time? Uh, what are some questions that might come to mind that you think would be important for us to address? Um, I think this probably a similar thing that I tried to do when we read through Mark. Um, but as you said, and talking about Matthew and that it was a, the most Jewish gospel that like his audience was more of a coming from a Jewish context. And so, uh, you know, the thing that I was used to and have been used to growing up reading the Bible, um, always from this place of like, these words were written directly to me. Um, which sometimes I think is okay. And sometimes I think that I miss a lot and um, I can misinterpret a lot that way. And so going through Matthew, um, and it's hard because I also don't know a lot about the Jewish context and history, but um, as I'm reading through all of this, I want to remember um, who Matthew is writing to um, and figuring out like why maybe he says things a certain way or presents things a certain way, or like you said, you know, I've already in the first four chapters, like I underlined every spot that it was like, and this was said to fulfill this. And so there's, there are so many direct ties, um, to parts of the old Testament and, um, part of their deep history and culture. Um, and so I guess to try to maybe rephrase that, I want to read it, um, paying attention to how Matthew is explaining and telling this story to a certain people. Um, and and the the meaning that it would have for them, um, and then trying to kind of take the value of that meaning, and then try to like a, apply it to my life. I guess um, like if I'm going to get anything out of it, that's kind of the process that I want to take. Yeah, 
That's great, Travis. I think as we look at the chapters that are before us, um, one of the starkest contrasts that you're going to see or additions that you're going to see compared to Mark is not only the genealogy, but this whole first chapter, really the first two chapters are unique to Matthew in comparison. So you have the birth story, you have um, obviously the genealogy, as we mentioned, you have Joseph escaping to Egypt, and then it kind of returns back to what we know from Mark and what we've talked about here in chapter three, when it starts to talk about John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. And so uh, why... I mean, so there's kind of for me as I always get more and I, I just want to create space, but I don't want to get too much into the weeds on these conversations is why are there differences? Where is this information for Matthew? Like Mark, would he have had the, the information about Jesus's birth and just felt like it wasn't as relevant to the story as moving right into the gospel, the good news, the the things that Jesus did in the first two chapters? Like, what is it that creates the differences in the gospels. Yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> and I don't know if I have a really solid answer for that. If you read the birth story in Luke and you read the birth story in Matthew, those stories are very different. The genealogies are also very different. And that's, you know, that's called caused some consternation throughout church history. And people who have been against Christianity have wanted to use that to kind of critique Christianity. You know, for me, I it's it's about History isn't always clean or easy. And each of these gospel writers has their own perspective and a particular audience. So I guess the the easy answer is to say Mark's audience, either Mark or Mark's audience probably wasn't interested in the genealogy. Right. And so he didn't do it. And I think there were probably some conflict. You know, there's a line in one of Paul's letters that says, don't get caught up on endless genealogies. That maybe they were trying to figure some of this stuff out in the early church and it was maybe controversial even then. But to me, it's about what Matthew is trying to do, and it's important to tie Jesus into that history. You know, I wish that it was cleaner on some level, but I love that it's not at the same time because I want to see these four different perspectives on who Jesus is. I, for me, I don't want to over, I don't want to enmesh all four gospels where I can't see the distinction between the four of them. And I think too, like just in terms of what we're about to read, when you're reading through this, if you'll kind of break it down, like if you'll read it each day and go, okay, so what have I read today? How would I summarize this today? And maybe keep track of that in a note somewhere or in a Google doc or something, just some way that you have your own way as you read to encapsulate these readings and keep track of things. When I was teaching a Bible at a school in Tulsa, uh, I would have students make their own, I would tell them we're going to memorize these books. They'd be like, what? I was like, yeah, you're going to memorize it. But what I was meant by that is I would use what's called Rema's statements. And I would say, you come up with like your three sentences to summarize this one chapter. And when we have our test, use those three sentences to tell me what happens in those chapters. And it's amazing. I mean, sixth graders could do this. It's amazing if you kind of come up with these statements that are kind of key phrases. And I just want to encourage the, the listeners, if you're going through this process with us, come up with your key summary statements to where at the end of the week, if somebody asks you, what did you read? You might be able to say, well, you know, Monday we read this and on Tuesday we did this. And then it might stick with you and you might find that when we're five weeks in, you can go, oh yeah, I can, I can recount this story that Jesus is, that Matthew's telling about Jesus all the way up to where we are in the fifth week. Because we do want to be transformed. We do want to hold these things inside of us so that we understand what we're reading. And 
And these long readings, it's hard sometimes to keep track of that. Yeah. Anything else as we start this journey in Matthew that you think is important for us to pay attention to? Uh, just like with Mark and maybe more so with Matthew, when you see a scripture quoted in the, from the Old Testament, look it up. And sometimes it's going to be confusing. You're going to be like, how does this apply to Jesus? And just think about how did how did Matthew apply this to Jesus? And sometimes, as I said earlier, you're going to find this seems like it's talking about something else. These prophecies about Jesus are not always just about Jesus. They have kind of multiple fulfillments, but they are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. I would say pay attention to that. And uh, obviously, when Jesus starts his ministry, pay attention to what it is that he's saying and doing. And he's going to have a similar message that he had in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Only Luke and Matthew have the temptation stories. So pay attention to those temptations as well. Like the scripture says in Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in all the ways that are common to man. So these temptations for Jesus, these tests, these trials are also the things that tempt us in some way. So maybe ask the question, how, how, how is this a temptation for Jesus? And how is this a temptation for me? You know, because we want to make it alive today. I guess my encouragement at the beginning of this, it's going to feel like there's a lot because it's four chapters. So just let yourself get into the story a little bit. Questions that people may have when they're reading about Mary and Joseph, they are betrothed. They're legally married. They're husband and wife. It would not have been good for them to be together until they told their family they were going to consummate their marriage. And so Mary comes up pregnant before they've consummated. Highly controversial. In the scripture, Joseph has every right to stone her to death. He chooses not to do that because the scripture says he's a righteous man. And righteous uh, in the Hebrew context isn't like some just, it's not just about a religious upstanding thing. It's about somebody who shows mercy. That's probably what it means by Joseph being a righteous man. He decides to, he is going to divorce her. He's going to put her away quietly. He's going to send her away, but in a way that doesn't bring shame to her. And then Joseph has these series of dreams. Hey, Joseph, this is what's going on, which is kind of cool, too. It's a great question for us to think about. Does God speak to people in dreams? Or was that only then because they expected it? Or does God still speak in dreams today? Because there are several dreams that save Jesus' life, basically. Because if Joseph had stoned Mary to death, that would have been the end of the story. doesn't happen. If Joseph hadn't listened to the dream about fleeing to Egypt, Herod might have killed Jesus when he killed all those two-year-olds and, and younger. <clears throat> and already... Uh, the nations are coming to worship Jesus, even as he's a baby. When the Magi come, the nations are worshiping Jesus at the very beginning of the story, which is great, too, uh, that Matthew tells that. I don't know. There's just so many things on that end. So Yeah, and that's going to be the challenge as we uh, move into the week, especially our podcast that will be coming up later this week, is how do we uh, not skip too many things, especially early on this first four chapters, but... We're going to do our best to bring you as much insight as we have and that we can. And so that is a good spot to stop this introduction podcast. And so we just encourage you to join us along Matthew 1 through 4 this week. And we hope that as you read scripture that you grow deeper in your faith. And you can join us, uh, as I mentioned, on read-scripture.com. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you at the end of this week as we talk about the Gospel of Matthew.